You're listening to a sermon audio from Cypress Church. You can listen to more sermons on our website or by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. We hope you enjoy the sermon and invite you to attend one of our services at 9 and 1030 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Right in the midweek or mid-time of this campaign, our concentrated on surrender, um, surrender has with it that sense of giving up, that admitting defeat, submission, yielding, not something we really look forward to, especially in a climate where we don't want to do what others want us to do. We don't want people telling us what to do. We want to do what we want to do. But we all surrender all the time. I mean, even getting here this morning, you practice a lot of surrender. You surrender to an alarm clock. Or some music going on or radio or something like that or somebody waking you up. Uh, you surrendered to a shower. Thank the Lord for the people around you. You, uh, you uh, surrendered to the style of clothing you wore. You, you had a certain idea in your mind what was not appropriate and what was appropriate and you figured you'd pass something in between. And, and you, you actually, those of you who drove here, you drove here surrendering hopefully to the rules of the road. At least most of you did. Uh, especially maybe some of you who were late didn't, but, but we'll, uh, at least you got here. But there's, we, we surrender all the time. We surrender to rules at school, uh, rules at work. We have assignments that are due, deadlines that need to be accomplished, vows that we need to fulfill, and even we surrender to our hunger. Some of you surrender to the hunger for donuts uh, before you came in here, or coffee. Um, and each act of surrender has an effect on us. And as we've been talking of surrendering to Christ, the effects are completely amazing. When we surrender to Christ, some amazing things happen. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding and he will direct your path. See, there's direction when we surrender to Christ. Not only that, there's help when we struggle in life. As Jesus said uh, in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. I will give you help. Take my yoke upon you, my way of life upon you. Surrender to that and it will be light, not physically light or that but the, you will have that purpose and direction and and help in life and not only that jeremiah 29 11 remember that verse remember the verse for i know the plans i have for you declares the lord plans for shalom or prosperity and not for calamity to give you a hope in a future that god has our destiny waiting for us if we surrender to him and, and there's more we bring god glory we we become our true self conform to the image of jesus it's what we were created for. When, when God had you be conceived and born, he had a, a plan for you, as Psalm 139 says, all written out every single day of them. And his plan for you has been to be continually conformed to the image of Christ, to fulfill your destiny, to gain help, and to have direction in life. See, we are called. I, I hope you write down this verse and look it up later, especially if you wonder if you're called, Isaiah the prophet speaking really to all of us in, in Isaiah 41 verses 9 to 11, it says it, said, God says to us, I have chosen you, I haven't set you aside, I've chosen you to be a servant of mine and I will help you with my righteous right arm. We're called by God, each one of us and we have ministries or, or services to perform. Remember Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 where we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he had planned in advance for us to do. 
Uh, see, we have uh, these ministries, these duties, these good works that he wants us to do. We're called, we're, 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 we're given a ministry that we are to surrender to, but also we're to surrender to a mission, Christ's mission. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 talks about that. We'll look at that in a moment, but it's to be part of the process of people being reconciled to God. You see, God's story is, is kind of a simple story. It's, it's God uh, who always existed, always has been, great and mighty and awesome and wonderful, chose to create. And he created our universe and put all the different planets and stars in place and created this little tiny, crazy little ball called Earth. And on that, he created the land and the sea and, this, and uh, put together all the, the, the mountains and the oceans and plants and animals and even chose to create human beings, created in his own image breathed life into them. And Adam and Eve had an incredible relationship with God. Walking, and he placed him in this garden, this beautiful place, and, and gave him free reign over everything. And said, go and just enjoy all that I've created for you and, and enjoy each other and just have a great time. But he also gave man a free will, and so he placed a choice in the garden. and said, you can have any tree, but don't eat of that one. And of course, as the serpent, you know the story, came into that and said in his slithery way, oh, God doesn't want you to eat of a tree because you'll be like him. He doesn't want that competition. And then you know the story, as Genesis chapter 3 talks about. Eve was swayed to go and take of the fruit, and she handed it to Adam, and Adam took of that, and they ate of that. Their eyes were opened, and sin entered mankind. And that sin is spread from person to person to person to person. And now, as the Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What that sin did, it, it just ripped apart an expanse between God and man, creating us a, a strife, an enmity, as Isaiah talks about, that there's now a, a separation, a gap, and man is left to kind of go on his own. And if he doesn't deal with the gap, he'll end up towards hell. But if, if he somehow is able to, to, to bridge the gap, He'll be able to enjoy that relationship that once was there. It will be reconciled. There's nothing man can do on their own to, to fix that relationship. And that's why God sent a Savior, Jesus, Christ the Lord, who would come and, and not only show us how to live by faith in God, but also came to pay the penalty for our sin when he died on the cross. That's the story of the gospel or the good news. It's good news because Jesus took care of it for us. He took care of our, our issues and our problems when he died on the cross. And all we need to do to receive it is to believe it. Now, belief has always been more than just a brain understanding of that. It's always been many, uh, I actually take it upon myself that I understand that I'm sinful. I need a savior. It's Jesus. And I commit my life to living it God's way as best as I know how. That's belief. And when you come to that point of belief, Jesus then repairs that relationship. We are reconciled back to God. Isn't that a great story? It's an awesome story. We didn't do it ourselves. We didn't close the gap. We didn't pay for our sin. Jesus took it all upon him. He's the one who reconciled us to God. But yet we are called to a ministry of reconciliation to tell people that great story. And to show them how they can be reconciled to God. It's that story of reconciliation that we are called to. I read, a, um, it takes faith and belief, obviously. And, and it's 
all of us who've received that reconciliation, we're now called to, to give it out. Whatever capacity we can. I was listening to a, a blog the other day talking about sharing Christ in our world. And, and, you know, it wasn't talking about what technique to work or how to explain the gospel this way or how to be able to do it. It says, you know, one of the greatest influences that we can have with the gospel is to actually be the gospel, to be the living gospel. In other words, through our actions, because actions speak louder than, yeah, that our actions to show what Christ is like. It's, it's the living gospel. It's to act like Jesus to care and to, to, to help and to be selfless and to be inclusive, not exclusive. You know, if there's one problem that hits the church today, it's exclusivity. Uh, people want things their way. I want my music. I want my programs. I want my things my way. And they, people get exclusive. Oh, no, no, no. You are not welcome here. And yet, shouldn't the church be the one place that is the most inclusive place in all of the world because we're loving like Jesus. There is nobody Jesus doesn't love. And so we should be in the same capacity, in the same way, and that the way that we can be part of the ministry of reconciliation is to live out the gospel. And we're to love others. Remember Matthew 22, verses 36 and 39, where Jesus was approached, say, what are the greatest things in the world Jesus to do? And Jesus said, love God and love neighbors. And those neighbors are people who are not like you. So our mission is to be part of reconciling our world to God. Romans 10 puts it this way. But how can they, those who are separated from God, those who have not heard the story of reconciliation, but how are they to call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the ministry of reconciliation, who preach the good news. Paul talks of this mission of connecting and reconnecting people to a deeper relationship with God all throughout 2 Corinthians. It's a good thing, something that is pleasing to the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, 9, Paul says, so, whatever, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. Make it our ambition, our endeavor, our goal to aspire to please, and that involves priority, to setting that as a high priority in life. It begs the question, what is my aim in life? Who Am I really living to please? Jesus said, if we seek him, if we make him our aim, if we seek first his kingdom, that's him on the throne of life, all the things of life will be added unto us, as Matthew 6.33 says. So how do we get motivated to surrender to Christ's mission? Paul gives us four motivating factors to surrender to Christ's mission. And I want us to look at those before we do. Set your books aside. Stand up. Let's pray. Father, we stand before you just out of honor and, and uh, uh, submission to you and, and surrendering to your will working in our hearts. And we pray now, Lord, just engage your Holy Spirit in our heart and our mind, having us learn what you would want us to learn this morning about this idea to surrender to your mission, to Christ your mission. 
Help us to see what our part in the, is in that and what we may gain from this morning time being together. Use this time, we pray in your son's name. Amen. Have a seat. And hopefully your outline is out. And you've already written down some notes there and uh, get some more. Uh, get, pick up that study guide later. Uh, four motivating factors to surrender to Christ's mission. The first motivating factor is to be motivated by the fear of the Lord. So hopefully you're there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, looking through to, uh, looking at uh, verse 11. Let me read that to you, 11 to 13. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Paul goes on and says, but what we are is known to God and I hope is known also to your conscience. We're not commending ourselves to you again by giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are not in our right mind, crazy, it is for you. And I'll explain that in a moment as we go along. But Paul says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we get on mission. We persuade others. It's a reverent respect of God that should motivate us to this mission because God is God, almighty, sovereign, all-powerful, creator. Yahweh, as the Old Testament explains, the high, holy one, master, Lord, savior. And he has said to us very clearly in scripture, go, get on mission and make disciples. Matthew 28, 19, 20, go and preach the good news, the gospel, Mark 16, 15. Go, be witnesses, Acts 1, 8, and go and love like Jesus, as John 13, 34 says. If we respect him and love him, then we are to go. We're to get on mission. See, it's a life determined to follow Jesus, not a life set kind of a, a drift on whatever kind of flow hits life. Ephesians 4, 14 talks about this, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. We're not going to be like that. We're going to be resolved. It's swimming Jesus' way, setting our affection on him and his way of life. Not pleasing man, as Galatians 1, 1 uh, verses 10 to 11 says, for it says, am I now seeking to the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of God. I'd not be on mission. For I would have, you know, brothers, that the gospel that is, was preached by me is not man's gospel. It's not something that, that, that Paul made up. It's the true story of God. And Paul has set his life to please God and it pleases God to share the good news, to share proofs of that, uh, uh, apologetics of that, as some of you who know what that is, is, is that giving the proofs of, of Christ and to persuade others, as that verse says. Therefore, I know the fear of the Lord, verse 11, we persuade others, not in cunning or slick presentations to sell people Jesus, and, and believe me, in, in Corinth in that time of the day, boy, that rhetoric, that debate and rhetoric was so prevalent. It was, it was a, almost like a, a pastime. People would gather in the, in the uh, city uh, centers and, and piazzas there and, and they, would, they would begin these, these debates publicly and people, oh, I'd love to watch the debate. And they would get excited about that because it was a great new rhetoric out there. And Paul is saying, it's not like that. We're not just trying to persuade you. We're telling you the truth. It's really there. 
Paul emphasizes that in, in, in verses 12 and 13 of this passage, but I want you to turn over, take your, keep your finger in 2 Corinthians and flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. He, he speaks to this point of just trying to persuade people. He says, and my speech and my message were not plausible words. In other words, were not just simply flashy words or fluffy words or words that try to get to you emotional appeals to be able to listen to me. No, but words that demonstrate the spirit of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. See, Paul didn't come up with these flashy speeches to try to fluff his own ego. And that threw the whole Corinthian people off. He goes, usually when people get up to speak, they're speaking on behalf of themselves, so they look good. And Paul is saying, no, I'm telling you these things. And you may think that I'm kind of out of my mind because I'm not talking to myself. I'm out of my mind. I'm crazy about Christ is what I am because he's the answer. He's not seeking self-glory, Paul. Paul's speaking Christ's glory. It's because he's on a mission and a mission to tell that Jesus is the answer to life's questions. And the motivation is not for self-glory, on mission. The motivation is that of reverent respect for Christ because he knows his call. He knows the commands. He knows, and out of reverent respect, he follows. We're to keep or, or to shift our allegiance to the Lord, to let that resolve motivate us to surrender to Jesus, to Jesus' mission. The question is, will you? Here's another motivating factor uh, is to be motivated by the love of Christ. Go back to, to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. Now we're going to be looking at verse 14 and 15. It says here, for the love of Christ controls us, or some of your Bibles say compel us, because we have uh, concluded this, that one has died for all. That's Jesus that died for all of our sin. Therefore, all have died. When we believe in him, all of our sin is taken care of. Past, present, and future all taken care of. He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him whose sake died and was raised. See, Christ came, paid the penalty for our sin. And, and when we believe, we, that atoning sacrifice becomes ours. We didn't do it, Christ did it for us, but we gained the benefit from that. And we live out our life because of what he did. It's life lived as a giant thank you to Christ, saying, I'm going to live out every day to say thank you for what you've done for me. See, so taken, so consumed, so convinced by the truth of what Jesus did, his death on the cross, and, then, and it wasn't just that he died and was buried, but he rose again, came back from the dead, and he's alive. Like we talked about last, last week, it's that great exclamation point put on all that Jesus said. It's true because he walked out of the tomb. That's why Easter is just the highlight. It's the Super Bowl of Christianity. Not that there's a competition there, but just the excitement of it. I mean, it's a fun time of celebration because of what Jesus did. He's alive and everything he said is true. And Paul, so motivated by Jesus' love, gets on mission. 1 John 4.10, and this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent us unto be a propitiation, a, an atoning sacrifice for our sin. So we're to be motivated because we really believe this. Do you believe? 
then read this verse with me, just out loud. Why don't you read it out loud? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Wow, do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Then let that motivate you to get on mission for God. So taken by Jesus' love that we are are compelled. We're controlled by the reality. That word in in verse 14, it says, um, the love of Christ controls us. It, It means to... To, to hold together, to constrain, to restrain, meaning that his love sets curbs for us to live. We won't do this, we won't do this, but we'll do everything in between. I love how Titus explains it in Titus 2, 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all, the story of Christ, the good news, the gospel. Verse 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age. See, the gospel sets, sets curbs for us and that, that, that we believe not in this, not in this, but we believe this and move forward. And so Paul says in verse 15, because we have concluded this, meaning we are convinced. Paul has distinguished between the philosophies and, and the face of the day and decided this one, this one of Jesus is the right one. This is what I'm going to follow. I'm resolved to do so. What about you? Have you let the love of Christ soak into every facet of your life so much so that you're convinced? Then let that motivate you to surrender to Jesus' mission. Another motivating factor to join on Jesus' mission is to be motivated by new life in Christ. Be it flowers or fruit or puppies, new puppies or babies, we celebrate and are motivated by new life. We we like the new life of a wedding. We, We love the new life of a graduation, a new job, a new venture. There's something inspiring. There's something motivating about starting and restarting and resetting life. Uh, Blake was out, uh, I think he was just simply trying to find out what his mission in life was. And so he did a lot of traveling. And he noticed that we go to certain remote areas and, and people, there are people who had shoes and their life was very different than the people who didn't have shoes. And something hit inside of him that he wanted to provide shoes for people and Tom's shoes was born this one-to-one business where you buy a pair of shoes, maybe spend a little bit more than you normally would, but that pair of shoes, another pair of shoes gets given to somebody without one and it changes lives. There, on their website, it says, it's not a shoe, it's a movement. Their movement is giving. Giving is what fuels us. Giving is our future. They realize that when people give, it makes a difference. And so this whole company and many companies have come creating that same one-to-one business model. See, we get motivated by new life. Tom Shoes was motivated by the, new, the life change that, that he saw, that Blake saw when someone got a pair of shoes. And now he's doing glasses and other things because he knows that people get motivated. There's life change when they get helped out. And each one of us has been, who have received Jesus has experienced life change. Our life change this mission that Christ has called us on is all about life change. 
And, and many of you have received life change. How many of you, you uh, came to Christ as a camp? Somewhere, raise your hand if you at a camp. Many of you, yeah. How many of you came to Christ uh, at, at a church church function or something like that? Anybody there? Yeah, a few of you there. How many of you came to Christ because of a parent really reaching out to you or a friend or someone like that? Yeah, a lot of you. See, people on mission came and introduced you, and your life was transformed. Your life was changed. We're going to see some baptisms today of people whose lives they 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 once were not follower of Christ, and now they are a follower of Christ. And we're going to see that that, that just this witness of of baptism as they proclaim publicly what's already taken place in their heart. The baptism waters doesn't change them except for making them wet, but it, it's a it's a symbol of what of what of the life change. They once were like this, and woo, get dunked. Wow, they're different. They're they're changed. And that's what happened when you come to Christ. You change, you're transformed. And that life change has an effect on us. Look at verse 16 of 2 Corinthians 5. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. It's recognizing that life change and letting that life change whoo, motivate you. It's, it's seeing the Spirit's work. Remember we talked about 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18? Uh, we, we with unveiled faces, we with just coming honest to God, behold the glory of the Lord. The, the message of the gospel are being transformed into the same image from one degree to another, from Christ, more like Christ every day. For this comes from the Lord who is in the Spirit. How amazing is that? And the Holy Spirit is continually at work in our lives, not only bringing us to salvation, but helping us grow in life. You know, we can't hinder the Spirit. Thessalonians talks about that, that we can quench the Spirit. You know how we quench the Spirit? is when we start to do our own thing, when we stop surrendering to God. That hinders the Spirit's movement in our life. But this new life should motivate us. You know, who would you like to see in the waters of baptism. That friend that you've been trying to share with, that, that co-worker, that, that family member. God wants to use you in that person's life to be the, the living gospel. And when times come, to be able to share the gospel. But, but the, the living gospel, to draw them to him. The question is, will you? One more motivating factor to join on, in on Jesus' mission is to be motivated by the entrusted mission he's given us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 18 to 21. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God has, was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their transgressions against them, but entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Wow. Let that soak in for a bit. He didn't put it up in the sky. He didn't, you know, have it, some animal come out and proclaim it. He gave us, you and me, this, minis- this message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he that's God made him, that's Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. We have been entrusted with a mission to be an ambassador. You are an ambassador. 
Being an ambassador was huge in the ancient world, a position of great honor for an ambassador represented the authority and the heart of a king, speaking on behalf of the king. Let that soak in a little bit. We, you and me, are called to the mission of being an ambassador to the king of kings. God, creator of the universe, almighty, holy, omnipotent, all-knowing, everything God, reached out and said, you, you are an ambassador. Say with me, I'm an ambassador. ambassador. Say it again with conviction. I'm an ambassador. We are. God has given us that calling. It's right here in black and white. You are an ambassador. And don't let it go to your head. Remember we talked about that last week. We're, We're just clay jars. What's the most important thing is the living love of Christ that's inside. The beauty of Christ, the message of reconciliation. That's the beautiful thing that's inside. Who cares about the clay pot? We're just, we're, we're, we're vessels of the great message, ministers of reconciliation. Our speech, therefore, our conduct and life should reflect the heart of the king. Does it? Does it as we love our neighbors, treat our family, treat each other? <laughs> how we spend the resources God's given us, and especially how we handle conflict in difficult times. See, because when conflict in difficult times comes, that's when we get squeezed. And when we get squeezed, stuff comes out. Just like toothpaste this morning, you squeeze that, toothpaste came out. When you get squeezed, what comes out? I'm not talking about if you're gaseous. <laughs> Come on, Ron. <laughs> I can see you thinking that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but you know, when we get squeezed, sometimes stuff comes out that's not the heart of the king. It's more a, a human heart. Vindictive. Slanderous. Scoffing. Those things are what come out. And yet, we're an ambassador we let the heart of the king come out. But we've been commissioned, sent out to our friends and our family and our school and our workplace and our community to be that living gospel. And then when God gives us that opportunity to be able to share the story of God and where we entered into that place of belief, that's what First Peter 3.15 says, always being ready for the defense of the hope that's in you. So you can share, yeah, here's God's story and here's where I believed it. And I came to that realization, this is true for me. But first we gotta get out there. People have to know we care before people care to know what we know about God's story. So that's what, why serving is important, helping learn the names of your neighbors. On Halloween, be the house in the block that gives out the best candy. Learn who your neighbors are. Do those Christmas parties. We'll talk about those later on. Get out there. Serve in your community, in your schools. And as we do our ambassadoring, it will make a difference. God called you. Not just the person next to you, but he called you 
Remember you said, I'm an ambassador. So get on with it. The question is, will you? Now your mission might not be as Kiri and Justin's to go to Africa to adopt children. But the motivation is the same. Will you be motivated to surrender to Christ's mission by the, by the fear of the Lord? Motivated by the love of Christ? Motivated by the new life in Christ? Motivated by the entrusted mission of being an ambassador? Will you surrender to Christ's mission? I wonder how different life would be in your area, your school, your, your work, your neighborhood, your city, your state, your nation, your world, how different they would be if we really took this to heart. If we truly surrendered to Christ's mission. I believe it would turn the world right side up. Let's pray. Father, thank you for allowing us to be part of what you're doing. Thank you for the, the scary but, uh, but honoring calling that you've given us to be ambassadors. Lord, I know we don't, none of us feel qualified. Even with the amount of Bible training and schooling I've had, Lord, I still don't feel qualified. But Lord, you've called us to be that living gospel, which we need no training for, but to be, listen to your spirit, to our world. Help us in that, Lord. And help us to follow Jesus' calling. Pray this in your son's name.